right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. And um, clearly our topic of this morning is courage. That's what we're going to talk about. So the series that we're in is called New Life. And we're talking about the benefits that come to us because Jesus is a risen Savior. So we're linking Easter and asking the question, so what? Like, what difference does Easter make? And this morning we're talking about the new life that Jesus gives us and that he gives us courage. So last week we talked about peace. Jesus wants to give us peace that passes understanding, a peace in your life that people would look at you and go, where are you getting that? Like, that is not normal. And so I think these two topics link together really well. Because Jesus doesn't want to just give us peace and then we sit back in a nice little cushioned cocoon and just kind of cuddle there in his peace until heaven comes. Like when I read the scripture, I think we experience his peace so that Jesus can then send us out courageously to serve him. I loved the motto. We just heard one more, one more, one more. And so I think Jesus' heart for us as a church this morning is to have that same mindset because we live in a city uh, we live in a country that greatly needs to know Jesus, right? And um, if you were, and I've used this analogy before, uh, y- if you follow Jesus today, if you know the gospel, uh, consider that like a, like a track baton, like you're in a relay race. Somebody has handed you the gospel. Somebody took a risk, took the courage to share the gospel with you. And so we've talked about this before, like what if you could trace that, that baton and how it goes back, like the person that handed it to you, who handed it to them? Well, who handed it to them? Well, who handed it to them? And we know that those batons would go eventually all the way back to the original group of people that Jesus spoke to, that right before he ascended into heaven, he said, um, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that plan worked because we're here in Iowa City, Iowa today, talking about Jesus, right? And there's a lot of us that are holding this baton. And so that's, that's amazing. But we need to understand this, that every time the gospel is extended, it came at the price of courage. Somebody had to take a step of courage to extend the gospel. And it could be, what would be interesting when we get to heaven, is for you to do a study of, and who held it, like even 100 years ago, 200 years ago, maybe 100 years after Christ, like who were the men and women that passed on the baton that you're holding? I would venture it would be easy to say that for some of them, it may have even cost them their lives to make sure that the gospel was spoken and shared so that it could go on, it could go on. And so here we sit this morning as a church holding this baton of the gospel, that God loves us, that God is for us. And he proved that through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And he proved his power to to accomplish his mission by Jesus rising again from the dead. And today we're talking about how he empowers his people to continue to pass that baton on by giving us courage, all right? So when we set this series up back in January, we had no idea that at the same time, we as a church would be talking about our 2020 vision campaign. Because as we, if you were here last week, if you're getting our emails, there's some unique opportunities that that are before us as a church. Here in kind of a short-term window, we're given the chance to respond to a couple things. One is that uh, for about 13 years, we've had a base of ministry over on the east side of Iowa City. And what led us there originally about 13 years ago was that at that time, if you drew a circle around the old Best Buy building, 
about 80% of the poor in Johnson County lived there. And so for many of us, it said, it makes sense for us. Let's set up a base there where we can reach out to people, love people, get to know people, and share Jesus with people. And so that place over these years and through those relationships has now morphed into and also turned into a school called Faith Academy, where we're hoping to add a sixth grade, which means next year, seven grades of students we call scholars from mostly at-risk backgrounds are getting an amazing education. Their test scores are, are rising rapidly, but they're also hearing about Jesus Christ. Whole families are being discipled and reached out to through this model. And so this is something we're super excited about. Like, what is God going to do through Faith Academy in the generations to come? Um, but that has been a courageous step by us as a church. Most private schools uh, are funded the other way around. 90% comes from tuition, 10% from outside. And this one, families pay about 10%, and the rest of the 90% primarily is coming from you guys, right? And so uh, what we see is an opportunity to purchase the facility that we've been renting for over 10 years. And so there's some benefits that come just by renting versus buying that come our ways. But some other advantages that come our ways is that we would be able to have a frontage of this facility to face Highway 6 so that the East Campus, the, the worship um, site of Parkview, our second worship location, would be able to have more visibility and would be able to grow. And so we would be able to have more space there, a bigger footprint, but also a front access to more parking and more visibility. So we're very excited about both of those opportunities, um, but that's going to come at, at, at a cost. And so in the short term, we're just praying big, God, could we as a church raise about $1.6 million by middle end of May to take that first step? And then there's a few other things we've been rolling out to you guys too about uh, a church in North Liberty that we're looking at partnering with. And so again, it would make economic sense to if we could pick up their mortgage there to kind of keep three worship locations going and fully funded and at the same time have our ministry fund stay healthy through all of this. I mean, these are... These are big steps, um, and so we're communicating with you guys. We're sharing these things with you. Um, some churches, when they do things like this, bring in outside fundraising experts. There's times I go, I wonder what they'd be doing right now. So, But our preference has been just to talk straight with you guys. You've heard about some of these ventures. If you've been around Parkview for years, you know our heart uh, to be a church one church that meets in different locations. We, we see the growth in North Liberty, and we want to start a movement there. And you know about our heart for the southeast side of Iowa City that has been there for a long time. So we're just praying that as a church, we would just follow what God is calling us to do. But all of this is going to take courage, too. So when we were setting up the series back in January, I had we, this isn't like some master scheme. Oh, Doug, it's brilliant to talk about peace and courage right in the middle of this. We set this up back in January. We had no idea there would be this series, this opportunity coming our way. But I can tell you as your leader, um, this has been a healthy study for me because as we've been thinking about these things, uh, it's very easy for fear and worry to creep in. And I've been exposed to... Uh, fear, pockets of fear, kind of a culture of fear that, ling that lingers in my own heart. That I just, I'm so, I just want God to nail that and deal that in my heart. And I'll be honest, like I think sometimes when I look around our church, I feel like sometimes what has held us back in the past is maybe there's some pockets of fear. And so I'm bringing you into my battle, like God, let's let's see what you want to do in our hearts personally, and what you want to do in our in our church corporately. If you were to start dealing with our fear. 
And if you were to give us courage for the gospel, if we had that same mindset of one more, God, just one more, could you help one more person meet you and whatever it would take? So last week we started very honest. I had you guys think through your last couple of weeks and answer honestly, like, could you use more peace in your life? And I think every hand went up in here except for any liars here. Like everybody else had their hands up, right? So let me do the same thing this morning. Like if you were to look back over your last month, or so. Can you see evidences of fear? Do you see a need of courage in your heart? Just kind of slip your hand up. Like, could you use more courage this morning? So I'm not alone here. I see most of your hands. The lights keep me from seeing everybody, but should have taken a picture and studied later and just see who I need to talk to. But this is a great topic for us today. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 4. If you need a shot in the arm uh, for some courage, uh, Acts 4 is a great chapter for that. It's a chance for us to look at our um, the first church and the, step, the people that held our batons early in the game and the steps of courage and boldness that they needed to take. So uh, in your outline, we give a couple definitions of courage there. The courage is the confidence to act in accordance with one's beliefs. And we need that. Sometimes we know all the right things and we can say all the right things, but are we actually doing them? And a lot of times the missing link there is courage. And so another definition I heard this week is that courage is the ability to do what's right regardless of the circumstances or the danger. So this morning we're going to look at how God wants to give us the courage to speak, the courage to suffer, and the courage to share. And we're going to learn from those first Christians that most likely held our batons and passed them on to us. So let me pray that we'll jump into this, this great chapter. So God, thank you uh, for, we have no idea of all the people that were involved in passing the baton so that we could be here today talking about you, Jesus, that we could be here worshiping you, celebrating you, that we could learn more and more about the life you have to offer us. And so I thank you this morning that you can see into our hearts and you already know that we're a people that lack courage, but you're faithful to us. You haven't walked away from us. You haven't scrapped us to find another group of people. You're willing to work with us. So I pray today in my own heart and in this church that you would just infuse us, inject us with your courage uh, to speak, to suffer, and to share, all so that you get glory through our lives. So talk to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're in Acts chapter 4, if you just turn there or swiped there. Let me give you a quick update. So this is Peter, who's going to be one of the main characters here. Uh, he's one of Jesus' disciples, and he uh, is our poster child this morning. If you think, there is no way I could be a courageous person. So Peter is our poster child of hope. Because about two months before Acts chapter 4, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. He promised he wouldn't, promised he'd go to bat for Jesus no matter what, but three straight times he denied that he even knew him. Epic fail. But what Peter saw was Jesus rise again from the dead, and then Jesus reached out to him, forgave him, reinstated him, empowered him with the Spirit. We'll talk a little bit about that later. And then Peter just started going. And his first sermon, this fisherman preaches a sermon, 5,000 people start believing in Jesus, right? And so this is Acts chapter 3. Jesus gives Peter the ability to heal a lame man, that happens, a crowd gathers, and Peter starts preaching about Jesus again. That catches us up to Acts chapter 4, okay? So verse 1, it says, The priests and the captain and the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
They've seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Okay, a couple things. That's men. That means if there's women involved here and some kids, this could have been growing to about 15,000 people right now. And I want you to catch this. So (laughs) Peter just preached a sermon, and at the end of his sermon, he's getting shackled by like the police and getting dragged off, and maybe he's finishing his message there. How many of you believe in Jesus? And then he gets hauled off. Guys, what's amazing about that is that people actually believed. Like they signed up. Like the guy who's speaking is getting arrested, but I still believe in what he said. Like that, that, we ought to just, catch, don't just read through that. Like that's astonishing. Imagine me getting hauled off today. Hey, everybody believe what I'm saying. And you start following me. Like that would be, that'd be amazing. So my first point here is this. Like there is amazing power in the message of the gospel. Just the gospel spoken and the gospel shared. God's going to do amazing things through it. There is power in the message of the gospel. It's not in us. Okay, so when I talk about the courage to speak, which is our first point here, that Peter had the courage to speak, uh, first of all, I think it's got to help us to realize the message God calls you to speak is a powerful message. It will be responded to. It will change lives. What's sad about that is if you look at, at studies of Christians in our country, only about 2% of Christians have had the chance to help somebody else follow Jesus. Two, two stinking percent. Like, have somebody gave them the baton, and then they were like, okay, good enough. Like, and, and so if you ask, you survey those people, okay, why? Like, why, why haven't you? Get, the number one reason is fear, right? And you break that down. Well, what are you afraid of? The two biggest fears are we're afraid of being rejected. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then we're fear, like, I don't know what to say. Like, what if I mess it up? So if I could just toss a little encouragement out here. First of all, just see there's power in this message. An uneducated, ordinary fisherman getting hauled off in chains throws out a message, and, and 5,000 people are believing it and following, okay? And so um, anyway, just, just fire us up a little bit there on that one. So continue the story. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, okay, now he's in front of this group called the Sanhedrin. 71 religious leaders, the high priest, and then 70 elders that were either Pharisees or Sadducees. And if you don't get any of that, that's okay. But one thing you need to know about the Sadducees is that they didn't believe in a resurrection. They were very strong. There's no such thing as a resurrection. So now these guys are talking about Jesus. He's alive. The guy they killed two months before this, it was the Sanhedrin that sentenced Jesus to death. So this guy they killed is risen from the dead. They don't believe in a resurrection. They killed Jesus. Like they're, they're kind of defending themselves. They're really angry, Peter and John, trying to shut them up. Okay, that's what's going on. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the Sanhedrin, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So uh, Peter, just showing amazing courage here, 
to speak to these men, the same, these leaders, the same group that sentenced Jesus to death, maybe from like the Super Bowl till today, like about two and a half months before, this same group. And yet here is Peter that denied Jesus three times about two and a half months earlier, is now just boldly telling these guys, Jesus was God. You killed him. He rose again from the dead. And we're preaching about him. So that's, that's the change we've seen in Peter. And so verse 13 is one of my favorite just summary verses in the Bible. And uh, maybe if you haven't read this before, maybe you'll see why. It, it could become one of your favorites too. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they were amazed that they were average, ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. Something powerful had happened to Peter. They had no explanation. He's a fisherman. He wasn't trained like they were trained. He wasn't a scholar like they were scholars of the Old Testament. He's just a guy. And yet here he is boldly healing people. Here he is boldly telling them about who Jesus really is. And the only thing they could figure out is, the only thing that makes this guy unique is that he had been with Jesus. Like what, a, what an awesome statement. And so you think about, okay, what was it that Peter saw being around Jesus? Well, just think of the gospel. What Peter had just seen the two months before this, that he saw Jesus give his life for him on the cross. He saw Jesus die. Peter had never been loved like that. To see someone die for you, and then when, you, when he rose again from the dead, forgive you. Like Peter, Peter was sought out by Jesus to make sure Jesus knew, or that Peter knew, I forgive you and I reinstate you. You're still my man. You're still leading the disciples. Peter had never been loved like that before. And he had never seen that kind of power before where our greatest enemies, sin and death, were just completely defeated by a resurrected Jesus. So he died such a horrible, brutal death. But then three days later, we saw him. He's alive. And so, so he'd been loved by the cross and then just empowered by the resurrection. Peter was a totally different man. Peter had boldness, not fear and timidity. And I love one more thing, Jesus. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Jesus has already done, died, rose again from the dead. But there's one other thing Jesus does for us to give us courage. And so I, I think Jesus knows us well enough that even dying and rising again from the dead, as profound as those are, we're still going to still forget. We're still going to be afraid. And so what Jesus did next was he sent his spirit to live within us. Okay, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the Holy Spirit because as you read through Acts, you're going to see the Holy Spirit in this book a ton. And remember at the beginning of this, when Peter was speaking, it said he was filled with the Spirit. So um, write down these, this section of Scripture from John chapter 14 to John chapter 16. Jesus gathered his disciples together and prepared them for his death and resurrection and for their ministry. And in those three chapters, he talked a ton about the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. So anybody in this room that believes in Jesus Christ this morning, the Holy Spirit lives in you, okay? And Jesus said, it's going to be better for you if my spirit lives in you than if I was with you. So I still have a hard time getting my head around that. But instead of Jesus hanging with me every day, what's better than that is to have his spirit living in me. And Jesus said, because my spirit lives in you, you're going to do greater works than you saw me do. Again, my head scratches on that because I, I can't imagine that. But when you think about instead of one man walking this planet, Jesus Christ, totally led by and filled by the Spirit, what if every follower of Jesus was led by and filled with the Spirit and then scattered all over this planet? Those are great things that would be done. Uh, Jesus also said that the Holy Spirit would remind us of what he taught. 
So in those moments where you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit's there to remind you and give you words. In John 15, he warned the disciples that you're going to face persecution, that following me is going to be hard, that if they rejected me, they're going to reject you. But then Jesus said, but I will send my spirit in you, and he will bear witness about me to you, and then you will be my witnesses. So, so this whole thing is a setup by Jesus for us to succeed, that knowing we would be afraid, he proved his love for us dying on the cross. He gave us power through the resurrection, but then he especially wanted to make sure we get this by indwelling us with his spirit, all right? And so Peter's our poster boy for this. We could also be right there on that poster next to him because those same things that Peter clung to are things that we can cling to as well. And that gave him the courage uh, to speak to speak the gospel. And so um, let me just, a pr- couple of practical steps here this morning. Um, it's hard sometimes to open your mouth and talk about Jesus, but, but what, if, what if we as a church just prayed for those opportunities? And sometimes some of the simplest first steps could be things that have helped me in different conversations. It would be if I hear somebody just really unloading hard things in their life, like one simple open the mouth thing could be, I'm gonna pray for you because I, I, really, I really care for you and I'm really sad about what you just shared. I'm going to pray for you. I've never had anybody slap me in the face for that one. Like I've never had anybody like get all mad at me for that. Maybe they're out there. I'm sure they are. But in general, that's an easy first step, okay? A couple other easy like first steps speak with your mouth um, would be to just, just share about your life. Like, oh, I had a great time uh, yesterday with some people that um, we read the Bible together and we pray. Or I had a great time at church yesterday. Just identifying just your lifestyle. And again, not in a, where were you yesterday? I was at church. Not like, not like a one-upping, but just a general conversation or um, just, a, a, just sharing a story about something God has done in your life, but just looking for those opportunities to open our mouths. And I do like the event like we're doing tonight, and I'd like to see us do these more throughout the year, but just places where you can come and hear answers to hard questions that might be asked about our faith. But, but I would encourage you, even if you get in a conversation where you don't know all the answers, that's a great chance for you to do some work and do some research and ask some questions and be ready to answer those. But, but first of all, God gave Peter and the disciples the ability, the courage to speak. And now let's go back to our story where we see Jesus give them the courage to suffer, all right? The courage to suffer. So back to our story, Jesus or Peter just made this great statement, and then the Sanhedrin kind of huddles up for their response. Okay, what are we going to do to these guys? Like, we can't let them go talking about resurrection. Can't let them go talk about Jesus. So they come back to Peter and John, and they basically threaten them. Like, you guys got to stop this. Stop talking about Jesus. And you go to verse 19. It says, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, or listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God about what had happened. And so, so while I said earlier, like Peter preached that message and people believed, there was still a good set of people that just did, did not believe. They, they tried to shut down the disciples. They just wanted them to be quiet. So they tried to intimidate them and cause them uh, to just be quiet. And that's a sad thing in our world today is that, in fact, there's parts of the Bible that just say that people are just blinded. And you would think these guys 
<laughs> there's, a, there's a formerly lame man that's now running around, jumping around, talking about Jesus. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people that said they saw Jesus alive. These guys know the tomb was empty. They had to create the lie that the disciples stole the body. I mean, there are so many evidences piling up. You know, the clue phone's ringing off the hook. Like, you guys ought to be <laughs> at least looking into this, that this could be true. But yet they were so hard against what was obvious, that Jesus was alive. And so we're going to find that. You're going to find that people are just offended at the gospel. People are offended at the notion that, that I'm a sinner and that somebody had to come and die for me. That's a really offensive. Or that I need to follow a God. I need to follow somebody else's teachings to run my life. You mean I can't just run my own life? And so a lot of times the resistance to you or the resistance to Jesus really sources in um, people's just flat-out rejection of the need for a gospel need for a savior. So, and so one of the ploys then will be to intimidate us and to shut us down, just threaten us so that we won't speak, okay? And we're seeing a lot of that in our country today. So there was an op-ed this week by Douglas McKinnon, and it was entitled, How Long Will I Be Allowed to Be a Christian in the United States? And he talked about how globally we're aware of the church being persecuted in different parts of the world. Um, and he says, but the media hardly bats an eye on that. But in our country, outrage against Christians continues to grow. A high school football coach is fired for taking a knee in prayer. A teacher is fired for giving a Bible to a student who asked for one. A Marine is cursed at and then court-martialed for not removing a Bible verse from her computer. And a Bible verse posted by sailors in a military hospital is labeled as extremism. All right? Even Chick-fil-A. Like, be honest, how many of you guys like Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A, uh, quick story, um, I was grabbing lunch with Doug Fern, pastor at East Campus. I know he loves Chick-fil-A. So we're grabbing lunch, so why don't we just go out to Chick-fil-A? So we're walking into the mall, and I don't know if you were at the mall maybe two or three weeks ago. I heard Doug, like somebody just sucker punched him. And we're like, oh, like it's like, what, are you, you okay? And then we looked, and Chick-fil-A had been boarded over. Like, were, did you guys see that for a couple weeks? And it's like, no. Chick-fil-A is gone. Like, they had to go and then closer see there's a sign about they were remodeling Chick-fil-A. I shared that last hour and there was still then a sense of, oh, like when, when part of the story was that it was boarded over. I felt like people were going to start dying in the aisles here. But, but no, they just, and I saw it like a day or two ago, like it's remodeled and it looks good again. So it's still here, right? But, but oh, Chick-fil-A. But, so Chick-fil-A has opened four um, restaurants in New York City. The biggest one in the world is in New York. One of them sells a sandwich every six seconds. Like it is taking off big time. But the New Yorker, uh, it's a magazine based out of New York, uh, had an op-ed piece and here was the title of it. It was about Chick-fil-A's creepy infiltration of New York City. Chick-fil-A, you know, how can you? But Chick-fil-A's creepy infiltration in New York City, and it's because it's a company whose goal was to glorify God. Its corporate headquarters has a statue of Jesus washing feet, and because its owner back in the day uh, took a stand for a traditional marriage. So now this restaurant, because of those, you know, parts of its heritage, are, are viewed as a creepy infiltration. That's the world we live in, where it's, it's going to be offensive for us to identify as, as Christians. So um, in our country right now, this is the level of our suffering, is that we're going to be ostracized, we're going to be looked at funny, we're going to be labeled. You know, you identify as a Christian, you could be a hater, you could hate this group of people, you hate this group of people, you're an extremist. Like, those are the things that we cower and face today as believers. 
And again, we know that there's parts of our world where it's much more intense than that. If this is an average hour, 17 people will die by the time we're just in a worship service globally just for being Christians in Central Africa, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, in Iran. I mean, there's some incredibly brutal places that are just killing Christians just for being Christians. And so this has been part of the Christian story throughout history. And yet um, it's going to require courage. In fact, I saw this week that while Iran is one of the most um, persecuting countries in the world toward Christians, it's also the place where the Christian faith is growing at one of the most rapid rates per capita. It's just a strange thing you see throughout human history is that wherever the thumb of oppression comes down on Christians, the more Christianity spreads. And it just traces back to this this teaching that we're seeing clear back in Acts 4, that the gospel is spread through the courage of God's people. And so God's people are getting courage. They did in Acts 4. They are doing globally around the world. But the same is true for us. We can tap into the same courage from the gospel and from the spirit that's been given us. And so basically what we're battling right now is what, um, what Proverbs 29, 25 calls the fear of man, all right? It says that the fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Fear of man is a snare. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So a snare is really designed to kill something. And so for us, the danger comes when if we are more afraid of what people we work with are going to think of us, people we sit next to at our kids' games, uh, people in our neighborhoods. If we're more concerned about what they think of us, uh, and, and that holds us back from really just doing what Jesus says, then we're, then we're in trouble. We're getting ensnared. And that's going to cut us off uh, from our faith and from the life that Jesus died for us to have. And so he said, well, what did these guys do about that? How did These guys were facing much more intense persecution than you know, being ostracized or not being invited to a party or whatever it might be for us, what did they do? If you jump down to verse 23, and we're going to pick it up at verse 29, they got together and they prayed. Like when Peter and John were released, went back to their people, first thing they did was pray. Look at verse 29. We'll jump in about halfway through the prayer. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they prayed, and the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Okay, there's a couple things we got to pull from that. First of all, I love how their knee-jerk response was to pray. It shows these, these people understood that they were weak and they needed God's strength. So prayer, if you are not praying, that's not a matter of discipline. Oh, I just gotta, I just gotta carve out five minutes and pray in the morning. Oh, I just gotta like, if you're not praying, that's just showing that we don't understand that we need God. Like apart from Him, we can do nothing. Like when we understand that, prayer just happens throughout our day, and we make sure there's extended moments of prayer. But it's prayer. Prayerlessness is not a, not a sign of lack of discipline. It's a sign of just a lack of God is awesome. I need him constantly, and I'm going to pray. And so that's what these guys did. Their knee-jerk was, we can't pull this off. God, we need you. And they just prayed. And then the other thing I want you to notice is what they prayed for. Like my prayer would be, God, just give me a whole new Sanhedrin. Like get rid of those guys. Like they are bad. Like they don't get it. Give me 71 Sanhedrin guys that are going to be on our side, not against us. Like, you know, change the circumstances. God, 
get rid of my suffering. And what they prayed for, they may have prayed for those things, but what they prayed for first was boldness. God, give us the courage to face this opposition. Give us the courage to suffer well. Because God, it could be, we saw this in Jesus, that his suffering led to amazing things. So God, if that's what you're doing here in my life right now, I lost a job, my health isn't that great, um, whatever it is that's breaking down in our lives right now, God, you know this is going on. So God, give me courage to walk through this because you can do great things to your people when they walk with you boldly through suffering. So God, help us suffer well. And so that's, that's how they prayed. And I want you to notice too what happened. It says that the place where they met was shaken, okay? So I, theologians call this a theophany. It's when God shows up. The presence of God is made known to his people. And so I don't know if there were, well, they didn't have lights or, you know, if glasses were shaking or chairs they were sitting on were rumbling, but they undoubtedly felt the presence of God. And I had to ask myself, like, when's the last time that either personally just praying out on a prayer walk or just reading the Bible or praying with other people, like, when's the last time the presence of God just was undeniable? And guys, if that's been a while for us, it could be that we just, you know, we're, we're, we're um, maybe we've just settled for fear. You know, we've just settled for just kind of playing it back and not stepping out courageously to share, to suffer, um, to speak. And so maybe we're not surrounding ourselves with other like-minded folks who's just like, God, let's go. Like, give me the courage uh, to, to do this, to run after what you're calling us to do. So, um, but God, God showed up when his people prayed in the midst of suffering. And, um, and I'm excited for that. I just got to reiterate what Jenny said uh, on this Wednesday. We're really looking at Wednesday being a day of fasting and praying as a church. And so we're trying to set that night up where you could come anywhere in the five to nine window. And every hour we'll start it like with some worship and then just kind of turn people loose to pray. So if you can come the whole night, come. If you can only swing one of the hours, just come. If you just can't come, tomorrow we'll send out an email that'll give you an outline of the things we're praying for that night so that you can pray wherever you are. But just what would God do with us as a people in the whole area of courage if we just devoted to pray together for one day. So Wednesday is that day. Fast, pray, just seek God to do a work here, just like, just like our brothers and sisters did in Acts 4, all right? So courage to speak, courage to suffer. The last one is a courage to share. Okay, verse 32. Verse 32 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And so... Um, again, these people were given courage to speak, to suffer. But now, you know, maybe for some of us, as we read through all they went through, this might actually be one of the hardest ones. Like, how could they really share that generously with the people in their church? And Jesus um, talked to us a ton about money. And it's not because he needed any. He's the son of God, so he had pretty good setup. But um, he knew that money would be the greatest competitor for our hearts. Like, what are we going to trust in? Are we going to trust in our stuff and our money, or are we going to trust in him? And so as you read through the Bible, righteous people learn 
that we have a generous God. And so we don't have to cling to what he has given us, but we can be very open-handed with what he's given us. That's the way the righteous respond to God because they know that God is bountiful in his provision. God will provide. And so I can, I can image God to this world by being generous, just like he's been with me. So people historically throughout the history of the church, the Christian church, that understand we have a generous God are very generous people. And that's been noticed throughout history that as other people comment on Christians who are following Jesus, they'll talk about their generosity. Even recently, I heard some global workers in the Middle East talk about a band of Syrians who were fleeing, who have been refugees for many years. And they were asked, in your journeys, who has cared for you the most effectively? And they didn't know to call them Christians. They just said, it's the people of the Bible who have been the most generous with us, who have cared for us the greatest. And so that's been kind of the reputation of, of God's people. And it takes a ton of courage uh, to let go of our stuff. Because again, I think that's why Jesus talks so much about it. It's so easy to identify our security and our confidence in what we have instead of in what we give and what we share. So this is, like when we've talked about this 2020 vision campaign, like this is where uh, God's been challenging my heart in fresh ways too. Because it's about a week or two ago, I just started sitting down and thinking, okay, what would be a generous step for, for me and my family in this? Like just throwing around some amounts and putting them out there. Here's what, here's my, so my response was, that's scary. Like, how's, how's that going to happen? And I just, I, I, I feel ashamed to say that because about 20 years ago or so, um, God just convinced on Lori and I that we just want to be generous. And instead of just being in the realm of intention, we're going to schedule this. And so what we've committed to do is 10% to our church and then above and beyond that to global workers and all the other stuff we commit and watch if every year we couldn't just bump that up each year just by percentage like could we do more and guys I'm about 20 years into this and our family is doing fine like God has blessed us God has been good and I I, I choke up thinking about that because there have been some moments where that didn't okay I don't know how that's going to happen but it did happen you know and so why was my heart then not just like okay let's just go that number's great. Should I make it bigger? You know, instead it was kind of, ooh, are you sure? You know, a couple kids in college, another one coming, like just all of that. But God, God has been just challenging me. There are pockets of fear in my heart still that I just would love to see him be um, the God, God of my life that just leads me to be courageous in what I share and to watch him be faithful just like he has been in the past. And so leaders go first, like we're talking about all this, like what God could do through us together. I want to I want to model that for you guys. I want you guys to be able to to see what happens when a family just goes, let's go generous and let's see what happens. And you cannot outgive God, all right? God kind of says in Malachi 3, put me to the test and see if I just won't be more generous in my response to you than you were in your gifts to me. So um, that's our challenge uh, facing us this morning. And um, as a church... Um, there are so many examples of this. I just look around this service, last service, that people are generous, not just, I don't know what everybody gives, but like with your time, the way you serve, the way I see you caring for each other. Like there are so many examples in this church of people that get it and you're just courageously doing life together and caring for each other. And I know that we stand on the shoulders of people that were Parkview back in the 1930s and people that had the vision to 
to move to this site and all of that. So there's a, there is a culture here of let's go, let's do this. The whole culture of you guys helping fund Faith Academy, where 90% of that school is being funded by, by you guys for families that cannot afford private education, but yet are benefiting from their kids and their families being exposed to Christ-centered education. So there's a history here, the number of global workers you guys uh, support and the way that 35% of our budget goes out of these walls. Those are all awesome things. So I'm excited about where God, what he has done with us in this area, but I'm excited about where he's going to take us in this as well. So again, may our motto be, uh, let us get one more. Like just like from that video, may there be one more that we get a chance to share Jesus with and then they enjoy this life. And then one more and one more. And may God just see us as a church, not cowering in fear, but living in courage, the courage to speak, the courage to suffer, and the courage to share. So let me pray and wrap up, wrap up our time. So Jesus, uh, first, we just want to be clear that um, this, this ability to be courageous is not going to come from us. It's going to come from you because you are the one that on our behalf you speak today. You are our advocate in heaven, sitting beside your father. You are the one that says, that one is mine, that one is mine. You are a defender. You speak on our behalf today. And you're the one who suffered on our behalf. You suffered on the cross. And you're the one that shared your life. And now you share your provisions with us so that we can be generous. So any act of courage that comes from us all roots back to you and the gospel. And so I pray that we would be a people of the gospel, that we just don't know it in our heads, but that we just live it out. And that would be evident in our courage, God, in the way we care for each other, the way we care for this city, the way we open our mouths to point people to you. And God, may you get the glory through us and through this church as we act out in courage. So we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.